Hi, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and today we have another special guest with us. Many of you guys might know him from before, but we have Bradley Vasquez, or however you want to pronounce it. I've heard many times people say your last name differently, so I'm just going to roll with this. Uh, so we have Brad Brad Vasquez with the uh, Alternate Media. He has been on our channel before. Uh, he was on our very first debate when we had audio issues for the first half of it. But uh, Brad's a good sport, and he's able to just kind of roll with it. So, uh, Brad. Brad, thank you for being on. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this actually a lot. Yeah, you mean like when we talked about it like eight months ago, and then it fell through. And I know, right? <laughs> so for the viewers who don't know, we'll finally I finally get around to it. Yeah, exactly. I, I literally texted him and Seamus at the same time. I was like, hey, I think we got our software up. Who's up for an interview? And Seamus responded instantly. It was like, dibs. And I was like, okay, Seamus it is. And I was like, Brad, we're going to get you like next week. And I meant almost next year. So, uh, <laughs> but life is crazy. So thanks. Thank you, Brad, for being on. So I guess we'll go ahead and just jump into it. This is, yeah. um, so what, so you are, uh, well, I'll let you actually just go ahead. What is your religious background? So that, that, that's an interesting question. I grew up uh, for half of my life as an independent, independent fundamental Baptist um, Amen. In, a, in a local free will Baptist church. Uh, my dad was, you know, one of the, the uh, more well-respected Sunday school teachers and on the church board and whatnot. And that's, that's how I grew up. I grew up steeped in Baptist doctrine. Uh, but then towards my teenage years, kind of from 12 years old on, um, my family kind of started to go down the uh, Torah observant uh, path, or at least the Torah practicing path. Um, and so that's that's kind of been, it's been a long journey. It's been a fun journey. Uh, I don't necessarily like to call myself Messianic Jewish, because if you <laughs> if you Google that, you're going to find a whole lot of stuff that's not me. Um, I don't, I really don't align with the Hebrew roots movement actually, because there are a whole lot of stuff that's definitely not me. Uh, so I, I kind of just narrow it down to, I'm, I'm a disciple of the master Yeshua. That's, that's fair enough. So you, so yeah, that's, what's funny. Every time I've tried to explain who you guys are, I'm like, no, they're not messianic Jews. They are Jewish in their faith and they do recognize Jesus as Messiah, but that they wouldn't identify that they're not really Jewish Christians or Christian Jews. It's yeah, because it's just, there's so much baggage with words. And so I totally understand. And the Hebrews roots movement, I, uh, I joined a few of the groups thanks to yourself and there's definitely things in there. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's weird. Definitely weird. So, uh, very, yeah, very, I don't know, abstract and amb ambiguous with some of their beliefs, I guess. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so that's a probably a whole other video topic for yourself. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so you are you grew up steeped in the IFB. You said you're a free will Baptist, so that means you were independent fundamental Baptist. But that mean, meant you guys probably more practice like the doctrines of Arminianism, essentially. Like free will would be the central. Would you say? Yeah. The 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 understanding that you know, uh, it, it's an acknowledgement absolutely that nothing can remove you from God's hand, but you have the free will to 
walk away from the faith should you choose or you know what they call backsliding right yeah yeah when yep exactly so all right that's that's interesting because the independent fundamental baptist is also it's such a small group but it's also very broad in its beliefs sometimes you find very much more calvinistic leanings or like my church growing up was not either wasn't really arminian or calvinist but um, some set would say that our pastor leaned one way or the other, and then you have the free will Baptists in that. So, uh, and that's that's probably what makes it interesting for me when I discuss with you is you totally understand my background as well, because as you know, I was raised as an independent fundamental Baptist. Now, were you guys also? This is for my own curiosity, not even in here. But is this? Uh, were you also like a King James onlyist type, or what? Like how? Oh yes. Oh, oh really? So well. On a personal level, because I, I mean, I was a kid. This is the church that I grew up in, and so all of the uh, all of the Sunday school teachers, you know, your children's church teachers, and everything. That's that's what you had to read out of, because that's what they had, and so that's pretty much all I had. Um, and I, I grew up learning all of the jargon about uh, the King James being the most accurate and the you know the only inspired version and whatnot. Um, my dad, however, always kind of reinforced. Uh, that you you probably need to have more than one version on your bookshelf. You know, my my dad had a bookshelf that probably the first two shelves of it were all just different versions of the Bible. And uh, he, he did always kind of try and steer me in the direction of, look, if, if you want to study a topic, open several all over a table and see what they all have to say. That makes sense. I uh, just recently saw was reading through... Oh yeah, when I did my divorce video, there was that whole verse in Malachi that talks about like God hates divorce, and it's funny because in the King James and all these others it says God hates divorce, and in the other versions it renders that verse entirely differently. So yeah, there's definitely value there. So thank you for indulging my curiosity there. So you guys, uh, you so you switched essentially to more would you say Torah observant in your faith? Is that the way you'd word that? Yeah, well, I would say I would say practicing Torah to to be truly Torah observant means that you're you know doing it perfectly contextually speaking. Um, so uh, nobody nobody's actually observing Torah. Everybody is practicing Torah. Okay, everyone's right. Okay, I got you. All right. Um, so be good to be uh, precise with your words. I appreciate that. So uh, we need. So you're more practicing Torah. So. The thing is, is obviously that's a big for, especially most of my audience are, I know I have some atheists and I know I have a lot of evangelical Christians. So whenever I have you guys on, I think probably people are just going, what, what does that, what does that even look like? Why, how, what, what, what crazy realm did I just jump into? So would you be able mm -hmm. to just like, um, kind of talk about what were the biggest things that made you convert? Like what made you make this complete shift? I know your dad had a huge deal mm -hmm. with that. So go ahead and jump into that. Yeah. You know, and I, I probably, I'll tell a little bit of his story. Um, kind of as an introduction to this, he, you know, he was a Sunday school teacher, like I said, and, and one of the more well-respected ones. Um, you know, it was a pretty common thing in the youth group. If one of the teenagers had a question about something the Bible said, it was like, oh, let's go see what Mr. Vasquez says about it. And like, nobody really cared to hear what the pastor had to say. Um, so that became a problem eventually in the church. But, uh, so, you know, my dad being a Sunday school teacher, you, you go through the same material almost year in, year out, and you, it's it, it's different, but it's all the same lessons. And he kind of realized that he got to a point where it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. I know this. I know, you know, when you think that you know everything, that's that's a problem. Um, so he, you know, he had a, 
a humility uh, moment with God there and, and asked him to, to show him something new. And so he opened his Bible and there was Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 uh, and, and so on. And that it just it hit him in a whole new way where it's like, okay, now hold on. Maybe there's something to this. And uh, that got that got the whole ball rolling, really. The the whole family kind of bucked him on on the process uh, most of the way. Uh, my mother was was supportive in in person, but even she would she herself would tell you that you know privately they had disagreements, which naturally is how a family should should work. Um, you should disagree privately, not in front of the kids. <laughs> Agreed. Um, me and my dad actually uh, struggled the most about it uh, because he and I are, are cut from the same cloth. Um, yes, I joked with you the other day talking about it. I was like, if you've seen me, you've seen my father, right? So <laughs> um, we we not only look just alike, but we're, we're very similar in personality. And so uh, I can't tell you how many nights we stayed up till 4.30 in the morning um, yelling at each other scripture back and forth. And uh, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, when people say that I approach them in a way like I already know that I'm right and that I can't accept that I'm wrong, it's like, well, no, the, the problem is I've already been wrong about this issue, like, several times. Um, so that, that I think the, the main issue, though, that I would say really kind of pulled me in uh, would be the Sabbath and uh, kosher law uh church really church holiday history and biblical holiday history those those four things are kind of when you take them all together they they kind of build a, a pretty heavy case for why God laid these things out the way that he did okay so that and we're going to definitely jump into that with the holidays and, and the history there we definitely talk we'll talk about that so what do you believe is the strongest argument in favor of being a uh, torah practicing <laughs> so i actually have anytime that i get into a discussion i've 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 debated this topic enough online at this point to where um you can almost predict what's coming next in the discussion. And so actually I've come to a point where I can almost guide the discussion based on what I decide to say so I can instigate them to respond a certain way. Cause you know, especially with Baptists, cause I understand Baptists. So it's like, okay, I, I know how to like hold your hand through this argument. <laughs> um, but really I've kind of just come up with a, a short list of verses to where it's come to the point where when it gets challenged, I'm just like, okay, look up these, come back to me after you're finished. <laughs> and uh, I guess really, I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. Um, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Matthew 5, 17 through 19, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, 1 John 2, 4, 1 John 3, 4, and 1 John 5, 3. Make it through all of those. Come back and tell me what you think. Fair enough. I know one of them is definitely, uh, you know, when Jesus says that not no doubt or tittle shall be removed from the law, right? Or, and I came to fulfill the law, but the Greek word that's there is meaning to establish. And when people think fulfill, they mean to completely like rip out entirely and toss it into the dumpster fire. Um, and yeah. So I think that's, so just for context sake, for people who are wondering, like these are some of the things that, that are brought up in these conversations. So, um, and you know, Brad actually, he sent me a book series uh, and it was, um, 
Oh my, it's it often, often said. said. Yeah, wow, that was, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. It is often said. Um, but so that, that, that series actually really helped me go, oh, Oh, I see. Like, I get it. You know, mm-hmm. I understand where where this is going. Okay, so uh, I find that to be really interesting, and um, I, I find if we're going to jump into how how Christians have sometimes responded, but uh, so but first off, what was the hardest thing for you to relearn? Because my favorite part about this with you is the fact that I, apparently you did not go silently into that good night. You, you were not like, okay, dad, you win. I'll never eat bacon again. You, Oh no. <laughs> you, you <laughs> fought him tooth and nail, which is only what I'd expect from you, by the way, from what I've known about oh, you. Yeah. So what was the hardest thing for you to relearn to adopt this new way of life? So for me, uh, it actually wasn't the, the, the dietary issue. That was, a, that was a hard one. We spent many nights uh, arguing about that one because I'm already a carnivore by nature. Um, you know, full-on Ron Swanson, don't feed me the food that my food eats. <laughs> <laughs> Gold. But uh, uh, no, I think really the hardest thing, and I've in my experience with, you know, uh, new people that – I've, I've, I've been in this long enough now to see uh, the movement not only grow um, nationally, globally, but even locally, um, and kind of seeing other people walk through it, it's it's a familiar thing um, to see people struggle with now, because it, it's something that I struggled with. And that would be the, the idea of Gentile inclusion into Israel – um, you know, kind of realizing the church's place in Israel and the role of Messiah as it pertains to and relates to the Jews. You know, the the, the idea that there there is no spiritual Israel that has replaced the Israel that was. Like, the Jews are God's people, and, and that's going to be a thing forever. Um, so kind of the, the, this, this idea that, well, no, we're, we're the real deal now and our job is to go and convert them into what we're doing. And it's like, uh, well, that's not really the case. Uh, yeah, that's actually something that stuck out. Now, are you familiar with the new perspective on Paul or the writings of N.T. Wright? Uh, people like I'm, it's, it's, it's not something I've, I've done a ton of research on it. Actually, I spoke to my dad about it the other night. He has done a ton of research on it. Shocker. Um, yeah, right? <laughs> um, and so he uh, he actually did tell me it's it's they call it the new perspective on Paul, but it's it's not actually like extremely new. It's this is kind of something that's been around and being discussed for a long time, but I think it's it's gaining more uh, mainstream popularity. Uh, in in the recent days, yeah, no, it's uh, it came out like the very first paper was like in '67 that became got raged acclaim and it really took off in the '80s apparently, but now recently it's having a resurgence. The reason why I'm asking is I just did my research paper on it, and when you're talking about the uh, Gentile inclusion to Israel, one of the things that stuck out to me, which is what stuck out with our conversations, was that the different views of Israel and the church. You know, it's like the thing that everyone's wrestling with. The Reformed view is obviously the fact that. The church replaced Israel, right? So the church inherits everything. Uh, of course, I have a lot of issues with that because God made promises to Israel and God doesn't break promises and he doesn't replace promises. So that for me brings into question God's 
promises. Like, okay, well, how good is it until he gets tired of me and frustrated enough with me that he replaces me? Uh, so that reformed doctrine on that, I have a real issue with. Um, and I don't think also the Bible brings, I think you have to really twist scripture to make that happen. Then of course, yeah. <laughs> so oh, go, go, yeah, yeah. Then, go then there's the dispensational view, of course, which is that Israel and the church are just two separate entities, but that God loves them uh, equally. You know, they would say like uh, Israel is, uh, what is it? Israel is Wow, his like beloved, and then like the church is the bride of Christ, which you might be get playing with some semantics there. The, the, uh, the, the apple of his eye versus being the bride of Messiah, right. and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and um, then your guys's view, which is what it talks about directly in Romans, which is essentially that no Gentiles are just included now, <laughs> yeah, right? You, I mean, it's it's what Paul says. It's like no, you were you were once far away from the covenants of promise, cut off. From you know, from the the promises of God, but you know, because of the blood of of Yeshua Hamashiach, like you've now been brought in and included, like you get to be part of it. And that make I mean, and what, especially if his his covenant first began with Israel, uh, it would make sense that his a covenant was expanded uh, to other people as opposed to like throwing <laughs> the reformed view, which is throwing Israel out entirely. It's crazy to me. You know, it's funny actually. The I I had a discussion with a pastor that I was, um, I don't want to say interning, uh, under the youth pastor at, uh, but we, we actually discussed that and Jeremiah 31 and kind of the way that he weaved that into Jeremiah 31 is because, you know, God mentions first the divided kingdom. He says, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So that's talking about like Israel proper. Uh, but then later it's just, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel no Judah, right? And so that's he 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 sewed into that that that's where the separation between you know old Israel and spiritual Israel occurred. And kind of one of the problems there is you've actually depleted one of the primary messianic prophecies um, is is that the the whole idea in Judaism of of the person of Messiah, uh, and part of the reason Jews do not accept Jesus as as the Messiah today. Um, Orthodox Jews, uh, that would be, is because, you know, so he came and uh, the ten tribes, the ten lost tribes were not returned to the fold. He did not unify Israel. And that's that's why what they derive from that is, so God says, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, divided kingdom. Okay. By the end of this covenant, it will no longer be a divided kingdom. It will just be Israel once again. And that's a that's something that the Messiah was supposed to accomplish. So when you like take that out of the whole context, it's like, well, I, you know, wh what is what does he do now? What's his job? I, yeah, I get that. No, definitely. So that's what I find to be like. That's definitely an interesting part of the conversation for me. Is you know the where how does the Gentiles fit into the you know everything? So I find that this this conversation that this is one of those things that's like you know you guys do a lot of work on your channel and are going to be putting out some more things soon. Uh, some people don't know that if they have subscribed that they probably just don't realize the fact that you guys were working through technical things, but. Is going to be balling now. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but what blows me away is the fact that, you know, you guys once mentioned the fact that there is this weird anti Semitism sometimes attached to some church doctrine, maybe even unintentionally. And it's funny because I was like, what? That's crazy. But then it's funny as I've looked at it, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, you know, when you're throwing out Israel, when you're doing these things, I see where that comes from. See, I was always raised basically that Israel is the treasured possession of God, you know, that they are the special people yeah. and you're lucky you're part of it. You know, that was. 
my teaching. So for me, I like, it was so foreign to me when the, uh, you explained that to me. I was like, wow, people actually have those views of Israel? That's insane. But anyway, um, so here is my next question, I guess. So uh, what exactly, uh, obviously we could talk on, by the way, obviously more and more about the, these fun doctrinal things where I <laughs> I love that. I will sit there and talk about that all night, but I do think it'd be fun to dive into some other things, just tease some people there on what they might be able to see with, with through your guys' teachings at, on your channel, and maybe we can have some of that here a little bit. It'll be a good time. Uh, but bottom line is yeah. you cannot separate Israel from your Christianity in any way, shape, or form. Like, you, if you separate that, you're, you're detaching a giant chunk of your Bible. Uh, one would say 90, 95% or more. Uh, and also, all the authors of the Bible happen to be outside of Luke. <laughs> like, all. Yeah, well, well <laughs> he, was a, he was a Jewish convert. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> So, all right, well, let's go ahead and jump into this. So what sort of treatments have you received from other Christians regarding your beliefs? Because you, I bet, have uh, ruffled some feathers a few times. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I guess uh, at first, initially, when my family you know, started going down this path, and it kind of what made it hard for me, uh, being you know a young kid, 12 years old, uh, was the uh being being ostracized by the church community you know because we 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 kind of tried to just you know privately we did our own thing but we'd still go to church on sunday and kind of you know just be part of the community there uh but when i think one of my little brothers happened to let slip uh when offered a hot dog at like a, a church function uh that that they don't eat pork it's like that that immediately circulated around the church uh via the gossip chain so fast and so then we started being treated differently. My dad started uh, getting phone calls from the church deacons about, you know, how they believe they could prove their point from the Bible better than him, which is laughable to say the least. But, um, and uh, it it eventually came to a point where um, some people ended up uh, having to come to my dad and, and look him in the eye and say, do you still believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And my dad's like, uh, of course. What? Why is that a question? You know, but uh, apparently that is uh, the, the rumor that he no longer did was something that started circulating the church. And we're not really sure where from. It doesn't matter at this point. Um, but yeah, we my dad still gets ugly looks in town from from people from back at that point. Um, so for me, that kind of going from that community, um, all, all the friends that I had to not being allowed to see them anymore because they didn't care because kids don't care. Right. Um, but then also being treated differently by the adults, um, causing the, the hostility between me and my parents. And I guess it kind of took the phases of like young atheism, you know. When, when an atheist first becomes an atheist, they're, like, super hostile to everybody who's different. And so, like, that's that's kind of how I started out is when I when I did jump on board, I would just, like, take what I knew and just slap other people over the face with it any time that, like, they approached me with any slight hostility or just questioning. Um, and, you know, to my shame, that's that's been a problem uh, for me is that, like, People might be genuinely curious and asking, but because my knee-jerk reaction, having experienced hostility, 
uh, is to go into defense mode, it's like I'm instantly like dukes up if you ask me a question. And uh, I've had to train myself out of that, and uh, it's it's been a journey. But yeah, a lot of hostility um, because it, first thing people are going to say is that you're part of a cult, um, and then then you get called a heretic. Oh, the heretic uh, is, always has to come up. It's not a good theological yeah. debate until you call someone a heretic. <laughs> uh, yeah, a heretic, and then and then a Pharisee, which is the best one, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> how dare you be a student of the word like a Pharisee? Right. <laughs> That's actually the irony too when uh, people use Pharisee as an insult uh, all the time, and I'm like, ah, it's a uh, the Pharisees get a bad rap. I mean, okay, so you had a few people who are confused. There, there's a lot of cultural elements that rose into those. So I think when you just you go all Pharisee bad, you're like, okay, you realize that the Pharisees were the ones who were the students of the word for hundreds of years okay some yep. some certain traditions of certain people in power shifted some things to the point where yes jesus had to correct certain things but you also notice that not every pharisee hated him it just said a group of pharisees that would ask him questions i would actually i would actually say that really plays into kind of what i said earlier about um the church's inclusion into israel being the the hardest thing to drop is part of that is like you're your immediate hatred of the Pharisees that you grow up having instilled in you your whole life is like, you know, it's it's like they don't actually teach you to do it. But like, you know, in church, when you hear the word Pharisee, it's like you're encouraged to be like, boo, you know, um, so uh, <laughs> so true. I've, I've come to a point now where what I, what I love about that discussion is when somebody starts, you know, uh, using the word Pharisee in a negative context, I love to throw in there. It's like, well, Jesus probably was a Pharisee, so sorry. Yeah, or, or and then there's the Sadducees too, right? And that's the thing is, like, people forget what who Paul was as well. Like, and all of these people in the New Testament, these amazing major players. It's like, no. They, they, also, there's this, this misunderstanding of Judaism as well, which is this that I've noticed. People think that because someone disagreed back then, they must have been horrible people because everyone likes the idea of a universal, hence the Catholic argument, right? A universal church. We all agree in yeah. unity. We're of one mind. You know, they take that and they run with it. No one can disagree. And people disagreed all the time throughout the eons in Judaism and, and you know, even the early church, which I think is funny how how uh, Catholicism tries to always claim this, oh, we have this amazing unity. I'm like, are you crazy? Your priests argued all the time on every doctrine. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, the, the emperor forced you all to come to like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A compromise for political reasons. Like... <laughs> <laughs> but we don't talk about history here, Brad. That's that's no, history's no, hateful no. and racist. You should know this by now. Uh, so, <laughs> bad, that's a bad Brad. <laughs> so let me ask do you. So do you actually try? So obviously you've had a lot of persecution, kind of to a degree of with your faith. People have mistreated you. Uh, I find it so funny. Brian was literally cracking up over here when you mentioned the fact that your dad, like when this whole thing went around about, oh, I don't eat pork. And for me, I just think it's so funny because if somebody came into church and said that they're on the keto diet or the Atkins diet, no one would bat an eye. But someone says, I just don't, I choose to hold kosher laws and everyone loses their minds. I just, it's yes. so bizarre to me. Even if you think you can as a Christian and you don't think there's anything wrong with it, that's fine. Okay. 
then why is it not a liberty issue for you? Who cares what they eat? Uh, you know, if, you're, if you truly think there's nothing wrong with eating those things, then somebody not eating those things would equally be not wrong. On, on the hostility note, one of the one of the things on that front that, that you will experience a lot, really, is people trying to secretly feed you pork. You know, it, oh my gosh, you have to be so careful around people that you already know don't like you because of what you believe. Because, like, they will. They will, like, good, honest, honest Christians will try and feed you something that they know that your your beliefs do not align with. Oh, that is, that's so disrespectful. That's so, like, someone's over here like, I believe this is a sin against me and God to do this. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, let's just make him do it. Like. The funny contrast, actually, one of one of my older friends um, who, you know, he, he grew up in the South, so he grew up somewhat religious, but, you know, not like too in, ingrained in, in uh, Christianity, but he understood uh, the Christian God and he, he had a semblance of faith. But, you know, he, he lived a more secular life as well. Um, he respected it the most, actually, when when he invited me over for his little girl's birthday party uh, and there were going to be a bunch of other people there like he took the initiative to look up like kosher law as far as like cooking meals separately from what's going to be unkosher and so yeah no like he made sure to clean his grill like cook my steak separate from all of the other ones that are going to be wrapped in bacon and like he took the initiative to respect my religion and this is somebody who's like if you're from the IFB, he would have been a bad Christian. <laughs> well, and that's and that's the funny irony of it all. In fact, I know that there's people like that. I know someone who I could talk, I could point out right now that would be that way. That used to go to my church, who had a fit about something like beer, saying that it's offensive for me to even have something like this around. Meanwhile, I know that he says all the time, like, "Oh, we should find a way to go to the the town mosque and put pork everywhere, and uh, let's mail them bacon." And he said jokes like that all the time. And I was like, "Well, that's still, and I, I was like, that's still disrespectful. Like, I'm not a Muslim, but." That's not the way you combat things. That anyway, I just—it's absurd. So I—I I get that. That's funny that people would try to feed you pork and not just simply respect your decision. That's so strange to me. But okay. Um, so do you strive? Let me ask you this, because obviously now people, if they're listening, they're going to be all triggered, maybe, or they might actually be respectful. I'm hoping I have a respectful audience. That's what I'm trying to trying to cultivate at the church split. I feel like you do. I really I feel do. like I do, but we'll try. So, but do you try to, or strive to convert others or, uh, do people just attack you for holding your different convictions? Um, hmm. I, I, I really don't, I don't actively try and convert anyone. Um, that's, that's, I don't want to say it's not my job because, you know, the whole idea of the Great Commission and whatnot. So uh, if certainly if a lost person who doesn't, you know, even have a relationship with, with God, uh, I'll, I'll share with them as, as much as they're open to. Obviously, you don't want to smother people because that pushes them away. Um, but I, I don't actively go out and try and, and uh, convince people of what I believe. Uh, if they are curious about why I do something differently, then they'll ask a question and I will answer the question and they will respond however they do, usually with hostility, but uh, 
sometimes not so much. Yeah, that's good. No, I, I mean, even you and I have had conversations, right, where it's like it's not hostile. It's always been respectful. And uh, especially dietary laws, I, I, had, I had a conversation with you and Seamus at the same time, and I was like going back and forth, and we were just having a good old time discussing Acts chapter 10. And that was a lot of fun. And I think that's what people forget to have with these things, where it's like, dude, if you disagree, you can have so much fun and learn so much from somebody, and they might change your mind. You just have to be willing to have your mind changed. And if you're, if what you believe is the truth, you shouldn't be scared. Because if what's true, I, I say this all the time, like, I want to just believe what's true. I don't want to believe what's convenient. That means if someone challenges me, I should not be scared to defend it with the truth. And then if I find that the truth that I thought was the truth is actually a, a well-disguised lie, then I ought to adhere to this truth that the person actually, the truth that that person actually has. So, uh, People are weird about it. Uh, it's just that tribalism. We like to have our own minds made up. We like to think we're always right. And that's just, the fact is you're just not. And it, that's yeah. why I have, I have this <laughs> sign up here, cheeky, because I, there's no way. Like, I know I'm not always right. So, uh, but anyway, uh, so how do you respond to people that say Jewish writing? This is my favorite one because doctor, uh, doctor, no, he's not, he's far away from that. Uh, he's not a Steven Anderson uh, put out this whole um, a documentary where he basically said that all Jewish writings are very anti-Christian, uh, especially in the Talmud. Uh, so, how would you tell? Pe how would you respond to people that say that Jewish writings are severely anti-Christian? Uh, so, hmm. first of all, it's not that simple. It's the first thing to try and explain to people is that it's not that cut and dry. You kind of have to understand the complexity of the subject you're talking about. Uh, for instance, the Talmud is uh, case law for for Jews. You know, uh, just because you read one verse from from a tractate, and people do that all the time, is they'll pull one one portion of a tractate and then post it out there like this is what the Jews believe, and it's like no. They don't. One rabbi said that, and if you read the rest of the tractate, he was probably responded to by four other rabbis who didn't agree with him. You know, so it's it's like uh, on some things you'll you'll read it. Basically, it's a discussion, or it's you know, so and so said a long time ago, and so so and so a little more recently said in response to that, and you know that's kind of the in the name of Reb, in the name of Reb, so and so, and what have you. Uh, and sometimes it'll come to a conclusion. And there will be a legitimate ruling on that subject. Uh, sometimes it's left with no conclusion because, you know, nobody's been 100% right yet and several people made convincing arguments. Um, but as far as also the, the anti-Christian uh, aspect of it, I, there are uh, parts of the, the Talmud that speak very, very negatively of someone they call Yeshu. Now, whether or not that is um, Yeshua... Uh, is is still kind of up for debate among historians because, first of all, it was a common name in Judaism, uh, and not all of them historically were good people. Um, uh, also, Talmudically, uh, he would have been called the Nazarene. Um, uh, he, he there there are several other titles uh, that that he's acknowledged by, and and believe it or not, even uh, his the brother of Jesus, James, or uh, as he's recognized in Judaism, Yaakov HaTzadik, uh, Jacob the Righteous, is what that would translate to. Like, he's got his own excerpts in the Jewish Talmud. Like, you can read words from Jesus' brother. And, it's actually um, kind of dope. I'm not going to lie. That's kind of cool. 
Well, and the first, another thing about that, the fact that he is acknowledged by Jews as as a, a tzaddik, which uh, which that's the Hebrew word for righteous, right? Tzaddik. Yep, yep. Um, it's it's derived from the same the same word that means charity, tzedakah. Uh, that title in Judaism means that you are, as far as all physical appearances go, you live the most biblically perfect lifestyle. Uh, of the whole generation. So the fact that Jews acknowledge the brother of Jesus as being that level of righteous, I mean, that speaks. No, yeah, no. I, sorry, I wasn't sure if you were, you were done, so I wanted to make uh, sure. Yeah, no, that, that, was pretty, that was pretty much it. Um, I mean, other than that, I typically like to pull out a couple of examples of, um, you know, stuff that, that we accept today that are that are Talmudic um, and, and kind of go... Uh, under the radar, uh, I typically use if you can lead a horse to water, or, or excuse me, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Now that means something in modern society where, you know, people typically think it means that you can show someone the right path, but you can't make them walk it. It's actually a Talmudic rendering on how to properly observe the Sabbath if you are like a farmer who owns animals and livestock. Um, because the whole goal of the Sabbath is not to work, but you can't neglect your livestock because that puts their lives in danger. So what do you do? So you can lead the horse to the water to have a drink, but you cannot lift the bucket so the horse can drink from it. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, and even I, I'll even point out a few times where where even Jesus uses uh, Talmudic reasoning and, and arguments that you will find in the Talmud, um, where Jesus is is blatantly uh, walking in the footsteps of some of the rabbis who came before him. And that kind of goes into the whole thing, like, that's when people were using, like, the Talmud. I've heard people quote the parts of the Talmud to say things about Jesus. And I was like, well, the thing is, you got to understand is the fact that the Talmud is really just, like, a collection of rabbinical thoughts all responding and con conversing with each other over the eons. And what's funny is that we could equally poll pastors who have written various different things about various different people in the Bible. And just because one evangelical pastor said it doesn't mean you can condemn all evangelical pastors. Likewise, it's the same idea over here. And so uh, that's helped some people. Like I said, I, I have a general, uh, I have a better understanding than most Christians, I feel like, as far as Judaic thought. I'm just, I'm not amazing there, but I, I, I'm trying because I think, honestly, there's a lot of truth there, and I'm finding the fact that as I studied through different rabbinical thoughts, especially like on topics like divorce and whatnot, I'm like, oh, Christians have gotten this so wrong. Like, like that's because these were all understood through the eons and even Christ, like, calls back to some things. So anyway, we're not going to get too much into the weeds on all that good jazz. But uh, so let me ask you, so now you went, as a, <laughs> we just did a really long conversation about progressive Christianity. So uh, you are, <laughs> so these people are progressing and you, some people might say is regressing, but back down to more to the common core, right? Like you're like, no, I'm going back to the root. These people are going who Lord only knows where. So what are your general thoughts toward people who are in the, who are mainstream in their Christianity today? And how do you think that can apply to you and what you guys are doing? Uh, so I guess my general thought towards, you know, mainstream Christians is, is it's a, it's a case by case scenario. You know, every individual is going to be, uh, who and, and what they choose to be. Um, and that that for me actually uh, 
it limits uh, who I even expose my beliefs to, uh, because only some Christians are even curious enough to ask. There, you know, there are Christians who I, I call them pew sitters. You know, they go and they just accept what's there, and then that's the you know they did their they did their Christianity for the week. <laughs> yeah, some that um, go to my church. <laughs> But there are there are some who genuinely, you know, they 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 want to learn, um, and they they want to have a deeper connection with God, and and uh, they they actually read their Bibles, and that that I've I've noticed is the most important thing is is having having camaraderie and, and communion and discussions with Christians who actually read their Bible is is probably the most beneficial thing that can happen. Now you do get met with hostility uh, more often than not in my case, but. Um, I would say one of the benefits of the more pro- progressively minded Christians uh, is that because of their non-judgmental nature, they're actually more open uh, to to listening and hearing me out. Um, while such a double-edged that, sword, man, that cuts both ways. It's got the potential <sighs> to become its own cancer, and it has. Uh, I have I have watched e- even the Messianic Jewish community and the Hebrew Roots community. If you observe them as they are today, that's not what they were uh, 15 years ago. You know, like I have watched these communities like drift from one trend to another uh, because of the influence and the influx of uh, you know more charismatically minded Christians and and whatnot. Because there's there's appeal there. Um, uh, one thing I, 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 at the risk of being a little offensive, I, I think that I've noticed about the more charismatically minded uh, Christian is that they they enjoy uh, having something that you don't have access to, um, and <laughs> so the idea of having this special Jewish knowledge that the rest of Christians don't know, like that's really appealing, and so they like dive in completely. Uh, but there's there's always the comfort zone, which typically ends up being the Pharisee. The, you know, the Jewish literature, like that, that stuff is kind of, that's the part where it's like, well, no, no, you're still wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take all the things I like, but I'll leave the things I don't. Uh, but no, that, I, yeah. actually, that's actually, um, I have a lot of friends who are charismatic Christians, but there's actually a lot of truth to that. Every, every, and here's the thing, if you're watching this, guys, every circle has its thing, all right? Uh the oh, yes. IFB people, they like to be right at everything and never question a thing. Okay? So you go there, they're all right. And when you go into the, the charismatic house, it's having something that no one else has. Or it's this idea of, look how spiritual I can behave and act with certain, and it's very ambiguous and more abstract, which is why you get the weird speaking in tongues situations and all these things. So everyone's like, oh, in order for me to be spiritual, I have to speak in tongues like them uh, and all these weird other things. So anyway, so... Um, well, that's good. So essentially, you're not you're you're not going, running around kicking down doors. You're not like the you're not like a, a a Jewish Krampus just running around ruining everyone's holiday. But uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> not exactly. Uh, not exactly. Slightly. No. Um. Okay. But as a practicing Jew, this obviously means since I like that Krampus segue. Yeah, obviously means you follow a different holiday schedule though, because you do not follow a lot of this, the holidays that people follow today. So let me ask you this. Simple question. Why is that? Why do you follow different uh, holidays? Uh, Well, the short answer is because the Bible says so. I knew that was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, well, because 
The Bible does say so, uh, and even even some of them that the Bible may not say so in as many words. So there's always the debate, even in the Messianic Jewish circles, about Hanukkah. You know, okay, so where does Hanukkah fit into the Bible? It actually does. Um, there's an instance in John where, uh, as John 10:22, if you want the source, uh, Jesus is mentioned as having been at the Feast of Dedications. That's Hanukkah. Uh, so. It's in the Bible. It's not commanded to observe it, but it is in the Bible, and we know Jesus did it. And if we're supposed to live like Jesus, then therefore Hanukkah. Um, and also, it's just such an awesome holiday. Like, if you if if you if you read like through the Book of Maccabees and understand the history behind it, it's like what a victory story. Like, you know, the three hundred Spartans of Thermopylae is awesome, but like the Maccabees were. Awesome. Yeah, the Maccabees, like when the <laughs> Hebrews went straight beast mode, and <laughs> right? exactly. seriously, but it, it was it was pre- like it was uh, prior to that there were there were atrocities happening that uh, the Jews have never actually seen that kind of persecution. Uh, maybe the Holocaust might actually rival it, but it's put it this way: Antiochus Epiphanes, the the uh, reigning emperor at the time is actually the jewish role model for the antichrist that is that is when they think of the antichrist they think somebody who's going to persecute us as bad as that guy did um so the bible says so and there are instances of of holidays in the bible that we can see obviously passover uh sukkot uh, the rest of the biblical holidays um but also uh, when Obviously, if I'm if I'm looking into the biblical holidays, then my question became, well, where did these Christian holidays come from? Then, like, why why do we do these things, and what are what are the origins of these traditions that that we have on these days? And these are like uh, Christmas, and, Easter, those ones, right? Yeah, Christmas, Easter, even even Halloween, because you know that started out as a Catholic tradition. Um, your your All Hallows Eve and and All Saints Day. Uh, and I forget what the day before that is. Uh, Halloween is actually a Trinitide, um, where it's like three holidays. Back yeah, to yeah, back to back. yeah. I know, like, because it's also got some like, it's yeah. There's Christian root, and there's also like the Celtic thing. There's like a lot of, yeah. There's a lot of weird history that somehow slammed in on like that October 31st. So, yeah. And so you know when you look into, when you look into it, and, and and we did a video already, uh, kind of comparing Passover and Easter because they they fall generally. In the same area, um, almost always within within a week of one another, you'll you'll have Passover and Easter, um, and so Seamus and I did a video addressing that. Um, so go go look at that. Uh, but but we go over some of the uh, some of the differences. Some of the you know we go over the traditions of what you would do at a Passover seder, and then uh, the history of where some of the Easter traditions came from and. Uh, we're we're currently debating over whether or not we're going to do it as a Sukkot special or as a Christmas special uh, because those two holidays do not fall uh, anywhere near each other, but uh, they they do correlate to one another in one aspect, and uh, because of that, 
we're we're kind of debating on when we're going to release that episode. Okay. All right. I'll keep an eye out. I'll have to check out that uh, that episode. I think I actually saw that on there. I thought I watched all yours. I guess I must have missed one, or maybe I missed more than one. I don't know. I'll go check them out. It'll give me something to do at work tomorrow while I'm doing audits. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, what are so you mentioned before to me? And this is uh, and you and I had a, a, a discussion. Not even I would call it a debate. It was more of a discussion on how we could do these things. That's actually one of my favorite parts about having conversations with you and Seamus. It never feels like we're fighting. It always just feels like, okay, but what about this? What about that? And we have a good conversation. So, by the way, you people learn how to do that. Anyway, uh, so what's so when it comes to these things, you've mentioned before that occult practices have made their way into the church uh, and, and various different areas. So would you mind us waxing eloquently on what you mean by that? So... Uh, what, what I go over um, a little more in detail, I'll, I'll you know make it a little more brief here uh, for Easter. Uh, one of the lesser known actually traditions of Easter is to have Easter ham. You know, you wake up Sunday morning, uh, you have the sunrise service. That one also has its own roots. Uh, Lent leading up to Easter has its own roots in in paganism. So uh, you've got you've got what is I, I don't want to misquote it. I don't have the source in front of me. I think it's what. 40 days of Lent, however, however many weeks. I don't practice Lent, so I think it's something like that, but... Yeah, so, you know, it's and it, it begins on Ash Wednesday. So Ash Wednesday, you know, first day of Lent, they go, they get the ashes on their forehead, um, and you have the period of Lent where uh, traditionally, so they fast from something. Some people do smoking, some people do cigarettes. In the ancient days, it would have been meat. Uh, I think fish was the exception. Um, but they, they wouldn't have eaten meat, and then so you rise uh, on Easter Sunday uh, to greet the sun and have an Easter ham. Um, those all directly correlate to the ancient god Tammuz. All of that. Uh, it is said that while on a hunt, because uh, he also, just like his father Nimrod, uh, was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and... Uh, on, on a hunt, as the legend goes, he was gored by a boar. Uh, the people started weeping, covering themselves in ashes, as we call this weeping for Tammuz. You'll read it in the Bible in some of the prophets. Uh, so you've got the, the element of the ash, and then there was a hunt for this boar that lasted the exact amount of days that Lent happens to be. Uh, so obviously on a hunt, you're not eating meat because you're hunting meat. Um, and they, they kill the boar. Uh, they acknowledge Tammuz as having risen as the sun the next day, and they feast on the flesh of this boar that killed their previous king. Um, that that would be uh, the official history, and and you can I understand it sounds super crazy. No. Uh, you 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 can fact check. No no that. no. I'll, I mean no um, no. I just made the face because it's like wow because he eats the flesh of the boar and everything. I'm like okay, are we are we talking about Catholicism right now? Or are we? Yeah no, I. Uh, I see what you're. I, I see what you're connecting. Uh, I see what you're connecting. Things like the Christmas tree, uh, that one is is such a treasured one in Christianity because it's like, well, but how could that be evil? And you know we've ascribed so much uh, positive biblical symbolism to uh, all of them, but you know, the idea of the of the Christmas tree uh, being evergreen, it 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 represents, um, you know. Uh, life in in that instance and it stands erect and so you you take this tree that stands erect and you cover it in balls um 
Classy. <laughs> if, if, you, if, you, if you get what I'm going at there, it's, it is a fertility symbol, which is also why the wreath is also shaped uh, in the form of the female um, uh, parts, as it were. All, all, all ancient pagan occultic uh, symbolism almost always directly correlates to sexual imagery. That um, is true. I definitely know that is true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it used to be uh, when I, when we first started going down this path and Christmas time would come around and all my Christian friends, you know, have they post on Facebook, you know, what's your favorite Christmas verse? And I'd be like, uh, Jeremiah 10, like the first five verses. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> cheeky, cheeky. <laughs> because, I mean, it is like, you know, it's, so it's describing it's describing the, the fastening of, of an idol. But like if you you read it it kind of describes a christmas tree i'll have to look at that in that sense now i'll have to read it and think of uh rocking around the christmas tree <laughs> yeah well and also so december 25th even the date uh the date that was that was said to be the birth of mithras the the pagan roman cult that was kind of competing with christianity around the same time um that fact is being contested here recently uh uh, I won't get into that, but um, most Christians know Jesus was not born on December 25th. Right. So the question of when he was born, and we'll we'll address this in the video, but I can prove using the book of Luke that he was likely born on or around the holiday of Sukkot. Um, and I can I can prove that using the book of Luke emphatically. Uh, oh, okay. I'm I'm excited. I like how you keep getting like you're spo like you're not spoiling. Like you're like, oh no, you're gonna have to come back to my channel to hear the rest of that conversation. I yeah. enjoy it. You guys have to subscribe. To me. <laughs> <laughs> come links in the description below. Uh, yeah, no, this stuff I, I find this stuff a lot very interesting. Now the ultimate question is that naturally Christians are going to ask, and I have actually asked you and you and I've had conversations about this. Is do you think you can separate the practicing of say Christmas as you know, a time as a holiday, we decorate a tree innocently. We put all these little presents at the bottom of the tree, and for us, it's a, a holiday about remembering the birth of Christ, even though we know it didn't happen at this point. And a day of family and of giving to one another. Do you believe you can separate that from its pagan roots, or would you say that the ground has been soiled? I would say, um, I guess the short answer would be no, uh, but it's a little more complex than that because. Um, there's there there are obvious you know, positive elements to the holiday season. Um, it, it's even statistically recorded that miraculous occurrences are uh, more likely to occur during the holiday season. Coincidentally, also more suicides happen. That's irrelevant. But what? you know, if you <laughs> sorry, that got dark. Continue. Yeah, no, we we went like super high and super low with that one. But uh, no, it, so miraculous occurrences do actually occur more frequently during the holiday season and uh there's no scientific explanation for that uh so there's there's obviously a a relevance to the positivity surrounding it but i i do also think um that the the accident of themselves um with knowledge uh, I don't think anybody's doing anything extremely wrong if they don't know any better. Uh, but to him who knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. So if you already know better, it's like, well, mm, God tells us not to worship him the way that the pagans worship their gods. Um, he actually says that a couple of times in the Torah, the 
your first five books of the Bible. Um, so I, I get the whole idea of rebranding all of these traditions and saying that now it's about Jesus, but it's it's like, well, God already told us not to do that. And if you really think about it, it's, it's almost like um, taking your significant other to your ex's favorite restaurant for a date. Ha! <laughs> uh, huh. I've never heard it put so eloquently before. That's actually kind of funny. I've, as I grew up uh, at my church, they all celebrated, of course. But there's one I know. There's like two families that wouldn't, and for for similar reasons. And it was that's just really funny. I need to I need to message them now and give them a, a good example. It's like bring your ex to, it's like bring your girlfriend to your ex's favorite restaurant. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, it. I, I think in addition to that, there are just certain. There's certain, mm, there's a certain nature tied to to actions, and I think a lot of Christians would even agree with that sentiment if you give them the right example. Um, but you know, uh, there's there there's a an, an inherent nature involved in stuff, and it it is very hard to remove that uh, even by rebranding it. And the example that I give to people whenever I'm having this debate with people, because believe it or not. This is a big one. The holidays is a big Well, I can imagine because that's a big thing that they engage in with their family and stuff. So I had, yeah. Exactly. Um, and believe it or not, that is the number one argument that it boils down to. After, after you've addressed every other theological point pertaining to the holidays, it all boils down to, well, this is when I get to see my family. And to me, that's sad because it's like, well, if you don't have a better excuse to see your family than to meet at this specific time of year, it, that's depressing really. Um, you, you should make the effort to see them other times of the year. Uh, but, but no, the, um, I forgot where I was even going with that. Continue. Okay. <laughs> no, I think that's, so that's, that's fair enough. Now for the people who are wondering like, Will, where do you, cause I know so I'm over here like, yeah. Um, where do you, where, where, with me, I'm just so you guys know, I did celebrate, uh, um, Christmas last year, but I've always just wondered if there's a way you would be able to, because I'm like, well, I know there's pagan things or pagan roots attached to it. I know there's that in the history. So my question is always, but is it, has it not evolved, I guess, into something else now? And okay, now you know. That's where now I was you're going. going. I could have got that ball rolling. That's where I was going. The example that I give to people, right? Because, you know, so it seems innocent enough. You set up a tree, um, you know, that already has its its own uh, phallic symbolism um, and it's it's intended to represent a certain pagan god uh, and you you decorate it you you say it means something different and then you set the gifts and under it which it depending on how extremely like you know nitpicky you want to be you, you have to bow to it in order to set the gifts underneath it um, but uh, be that as it may you can you can rebrand it. That's fine, and that seems innocent enough. The example I give to people is like, okay, so like, what about Halloween then? Because a lot of Christians like they that's the one. They're like, no, 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 that's the devil's holiday, right? You know, and it's like, okay, but what if we like made it about Jesus? You know, what if the the you know the 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 orgies that might have taken place on 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 Samhain, uh, in the ancient Norse periods? You know, what if we like did that and said that we were doing it in Jesus' name uh, to kind of celebrate the the winning of new souls to God and and whatnot. And it's like, you know, you, you can you can rebrand anything you want. 
You, there's there's really no place where you can just draw the line and go, well, no, that's blatantly evil, or that's blatantly, you know, it, you, if, if you can rebrand it, you can rebrand it. So what you're saying essentially is, it, so instead of trying to rebrand it, just go back to the all the holidays that God already implemented to his house of Israel, and you're good. You still got plenty of holidays, right? That would be your... And, yeah, and the, you actually have... I was going to say, because <laughs> if I know Jews, is they kind of like to party. <laughs> oh, yes. So you're definitely not like... That's what's funny, because people are like, oh my goodness, then what do you do with all your holidays? I'm like, you all, I mean, technically you get more. Like, so you get to cash in on more. So just the fact that the rest of society doesn't do it with you. So, uh, well, more, and it's more of the rest of society, like over in Western world, because in other areas of the world, it's whatever, you know, the Chinese new, has their big new year, but we don't really care about it over here. But anyway, so that yep. kind of, you mentioned the fact that there's some instance, there's some things that things are connected to. So this helps us jump into our next topic. And it was funny when you and I were talking about what we should talk about uh, in here. And then you were like, well, people are going to think I'm crazy. I don't even care if they think I'm crazy. Let's just have a good time. And so just so you guys, you know, I do want to address this because I do want to talk about spirituality and spiritualism a little bit and how it connects connects to Judaism because you've mentioned it. And the first thing I want to talk about real fast is the absurdity of belief, which is no matter what, people hear something and they go, that is absurd because it's something that you don't believe. We always think that someone that we disagree with believes something absurd. Pro-choicers believe pro-lifers are absurd. You know, pro-lifers believe pro-choicers are absurd because they are. Um, but <laughs> not saying some of the absurdity is wrong. But the question, so the point is here, as we talk about some of these things, remain respectful and just think just because you're hearing this from somebody maybe for the first time, does that mean they're actually crazy? It means they actually may have looked into something that you might not have looked into. Because I know you have this weird, dark kind of obsession that you like to study the occult and whatnot um, as well, which guilty is blood. a guilty, you know, it's okay. When I was like in sixth grade, I had a fascination with medieval torture. Okay, whatever. Call me insane. Like, I'm not a serial killer. I swear, just don't go digging around in my flower garden, okay? That's all I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, so spirituality and spiritualism. What Christians today tend to, and we mentioned this uh, pre-interview, that it's almost like they have this belief of, I call it practical atheism or materialistic Christianity, which is that they deny Dim, like almost demon activity. Like they hear something supernatural and they go, oh, there's no way. It's got to be a rational explanation. And they instantly give the atheist response. There's a rational explanation instead of something supernatural. And the Bible makes very, you cannot possibly be a Christian and deny the fact that there are supernatural elements to the universe. So what is the Jewish view of things like the spirit's realm and mysticism? And go ahead and feel free to take that conversation whichever direction you want. There's so many ways to go with that one. Um, but so uh, the spiritual realm, um, that's actually rather singular uh, in, in Jewish thought. There are, uh, there are understood to be four uh, what they call olam uh, or worlds, four, four realms uh, in, in, in a descending order almost, um, which we as physical beings on a physical earth reside in the lowest, most base degraded form of so low. In fact, that we take a physical form, you know, obviously if you understand the idea that, um, things, things have a spiritual nature. And if you're somebody who does believe that, that there is a, a spiritual, um, reality or a spiritual world in general, um, then that, that you understand that's the next level up, you know, if the idea that the Holy spirit exists on another plane, separate from us I mean, while coexisting in our plane, but you know, in another realm altogether, it's like, okay, well that's obviously a realm up above ours. Um, 
and Paul even references this when he references the third heaven. I've heard I've heard people try and and uh, rationalize the the scientifically physical aspects of what he could be talking about, uh, but uh, like again, the stratosphere this is one of those and whatnot. I've heard those things as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's for me, it's one of those issues where it's like, okay, now you've taken the verse as you're reading it in the 21st century and divorced it from the fact that Paul was a Pharisee, right? So if Paul is a, is, is a Pharisee who understands philosophy as Pharisees do, then that word or that phrase, third heaven, means something. And what it means actually is um, the, the, the third heaven would be where the Jews believe that the Garden of Eden is being kept. It's, it's heaven. That, that is their idea of heaven. Is, is, that's the third realm above ours. Um, and then above that would be the fourth, which is, it's like, it exists, but it doesn't, because that's like where God in his entirety exists. It's kind of that whole, because Christians understand the concept that no man can stand before God because you would be consumed right. by him. Um, and so in order to create a creation that could exist without being consumed by him, he basically had to create somewhere where he's not. You know, is kind of the idea. Okay. Um, and hence, hence the idea of you know the Holy Spirit, um, the uh, the Ruach Hakodesh, the Shekinah, these other emanations of God that do exist and operate and work within that creation, shielded from basically the part of God that would consume. Yeah, without beholding His entire countenance, so to speak. Exactly. Uh, it's uh, the way it's described is actually almost like you know he just put a blinder between himself and his creation, um, like a screen or you know some, something to kind of just dim the light, as it were. Um, is it's it's not a great example, but it's the closest thing, I guess. Uh, so that's that's one one concept as far as realms are concerned. Um, but in addition to that, they also have the the understanding of ten dimensions. Um, which, uh, as far as I'm aware, science is only just now coming around to that conclusion. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I mean, uh, Brian and I have uh, referenced plenty of times Jewish writings when it comes to even our understanding of the universe in general because we're like, well, do you really think that God would allow his people to believe a complete and total blatant lie about the nature of all things in the universe. Um, And, you know, it's like, especially when you have someone like Moses who walked with God, had face-to-face essential conversations with God. Uh, You know, so it's like, I think think when they have a, a nudge on something and they're in ancient writings, you and the fact that none of it's been able to be proven wrong uh, is a pretty pretty solid example of how things could work. And now, as far as spiritualism, mysticism, and all this stuff, because these things make Christians uncomfortable. As soon as we start talking about some people who just instantly are like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, uh, what are some things that, like, you would, uh, uh, I think it'd be fun if you mentioned your angel of death talk, just for kicks and giggles at some point. You got to talk about that. That's fun. But otherwise, like, what are your other things, as far as, like, mysticism and spiritual realm? You've mentioned before the neutrality of the spiritual realm. Uh, would you be able to kind of uh, explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so that actually usually gets brought up in the Harry Potter discussion um, because, you know, obviously the subject of magic is um, it's a very muddy discussion in Christian circles uh, because you've got uh, the more progressive Christians who are totally okay with any kind of literature, like at all, as long as it's not racist or bigoted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where's the lie, though? 
<laughs> Am I wrong? You tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> no objections. No. So, uh, but then you've got you've got the more strict Christian circles where it's like, okay, so they're okay with Lord of the Rings, but not Harry Potter, and then the even more strict Christians where it's like they're okay with Narnia, but not Lord of the Rings, and definitely not Harry Potter. <laughs> I and... was that one. That's where I was raised. <laughs> Narnia's great. Everything else bad. I'm like, but he used magic in Lord of the Rings. It's different. He didn't have a Jesus yeah. lion. Is there a Jesus lion? No, there's not a Jesus lion. All right, then. Don't quote the old magic to that me. Is... <laughs> Do not cite the deep magic to me, witch. <laughs> no, but that that is a thing. That's that's actually it's the same Baptist church that I grew up in was, you know, they, they man, they hated Lord of the Rings. And Harry Potter was just out of the discussion entirely. Um, but Narnia was okay. Uh, and that's because C.S. Lewis was more blatantly a Christian um, than, than Tolkien. Tolkien was still a Christian and, and, and even a religious scholar at that, uh, but he disguised it better. <laughs> um, so actually, Tolkien, the kind of where I go with this is, is actually based on, on something Tolkien said, where, where he said he feared that a day would come, because you got to remember he existed in a time where um, – the scientific advancement was making leaps and jumps, and so this this idea of rationalizing everything scientific became so important. And I guess he had the the foresight to see this leading people away from the understanding of a god. Um, so he said that he actually feared the day where he would have to uh, convert his grandchildren to be pagans before he could convert them to Christianity, just because you would have to convert them to be pagans to get them to acknowledge spirituality at all. Wow before you would get them to accept Christianity. Um, and that's, I think that that is a result of what we're seeing in what, in, you know, what you call materialistic Christianity or, um, uh, the, the atheist term. I love that one. I can't oh, remember. A practical atheist. <laughs> practical atheist. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's this like, there's this like shy away from anything that uses the term magic. Uh, and, it's because the Bible does speak very harshly against, uh, you know, sorcerers, necromancy, uh, witchcraft. These are the words that we'll read, um, and those are all there. Those are all different Hebrew words, and they're all very specific because Hebrew is that way. Um, they don't. None of them encompass the idea of the ability to, uh, I guess you could say, harness spiritual energy, um, or you know access the next realm as shoot fireballs from your hand uh, yeah that's that's probably a little less less accurate what <laughs> um at least i don't know anybody who's achieved it but yeah bummer that's actually what i've always said to him like <laughs> guys that's what the bible's referring to there if i could conjure fireballs and shoot them you'd see a lot more people being able to do that <laughs> yeah well and part of that is you know the the example i always use with people is because it is the most cut and dry example that there is Moses turned his staff into a snake. Pharaoh's priests turned their staffs into snakes. Okay. Now we call one of those magic and say that it's evil. And we call the other one a miracle and say that God did it. And it's like, okay, yes, but miracle is just the word that Christians use to disguise the fact that it's magic. That it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a divine intervention, a supernatural activity from God's. So again, so so yeah, so when it comes to the spiritual world or mysticism or magic, however people want to talk about it, or mir miraculous activity, uh, it is neutral at the fact that it's just like anything, it can be good or bad, right? Like it's like, it's neutral where, you know, I could use this to enjoy or I could shatter it and stab Brian in the kidney, you know? It, yeah. 
there's different realms and how that works. So, I mean, that's kind of also my, been always my understanding of the fact that, like, and that explains also why, say, the apostles were able to heal. You know, uh, obviously through the divine yes. Holy Spirit working, uh, that obviously God was working through that. But again, you can't say that one supernatural activity, if it's in a book, let's say, like Harry Potter or whatever, one supernatural activity in a book is just as evil as that when it's like, well, no, that's the whole context. That's what t makes the Lord of the Rings thing so interesting is obviously the, the ring kind of is like sin. It, it corrupts everything it touches. You know, then yeah. you have someone like Gandalf was more of like the Christish kind of figure. You know, he dies because back and he's powerful and all this stuff. It's like, well, that was kind of what Tolkien was kind of getting at it. If you look at it allegorically is the idea of that, the supernatural realm that exists outside of the Middle Earth is impacting, but it's neutral as how these things are used. And which is funny that I'm using Tolkien now to uh, explain this, but he does a really good job actually at, at that. And also if you get into like the lore of it, it's funny because it makes you wonder how much of the, I'm not going to lie, it makes me wonder how much of the Judaic stuff he actually understood because when you get into the further lore, it's like, huh, uh, yes. huh. Yeah, so honestly, hmm. both C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, the worlds that they created and the lore around them actually like, even me, you know, with the understanding of Jewish literature that I have, I've been like, wow, that's that's actually really – how did he know that? <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> like, I know that because I've looked, but how did he know that? Because he was a Catholic, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's – it's kind of one of those. The, the idea of a physical action affecting um, a spiritual change is, is, is really – that is – magic uh, summed up. I, I tell people it's the applied force of will, the the ability to will something into happening via whatever, you know, conduits you decide to use uh, physically, if that's the case. And so uh, the example of the, of the beer sitting next to you, you know, um, you can imbibe that. And uh, for some people, it makes them violent. And for some people, it makes them affectionate. Now, can you genuinely tell me that the beverage next to you is inherently evil because of one of the reactions it yields in people? Another way I try and explain it to people is to, to say that something like magic, to first of all, to acknowledge that it exists, which you, you kind of have to if you, if you believe that, that uh, anything in the Bible is true, um, then, then you, you acknowledge that there is, there is a spiritual realm uh, and there, there is a, a mystic um, a mystic uh, force of sorts that uh, either you believe that people simply use it for evil, or you believe also that uh, the the apostles and and prophets and whatnot have have you know used something similar as far as their their uh, privileges that God has has allowed for them to be used, you know, through them. Um, but to 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 take that and say that something like magic is just inherently evil is to grant Satan the power of creation ex nihilo. Huh. Well put to, at the end. <laughs> to, to acknowledge that anything is inherently evil at its core, beyond any shadow of a doubt, is to say that it came directly from Satan. Therefore, Satan created it and God did not. So you have just given Satan the power to create the same way God does. Oh, You've made yeah. it equal with God. That, 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 I, I get, okay, I, I pick it up what you're throwing down there. That's an interesting so if, way to put it. If something exists... Then God created it. Satan can twist it and use it to his purposes, but it exists to be used for good. That's why God created it. 
Well, yeah, well, that makes sense. And that's actually funny because, like, as I studied, too, when I was looking at Scripture, because, you know, I the reason why I talk about materialistic Christianity is because that's kind of where I fell for a little bit, where I'm like, okay, some of the stuff is kind of, you know, a lot of religious jargon, so, is, is simply. And then I realized, I'm like, okay, once I have this idea, then none of the Bible starts making sense. And then, so then I realized, like, okay, no, I just got to start accepting it as it is what it is. And then as I've also studied more into occult practices and whatnot, I'm, you know, you can actually see that these things are actually pretty much a reality. So what would you say uh, is a big proof of, to, to those who would doubt, what would you say is a, rea a proof of the reality of it? Um, uh, the For Christians especially, the inherent knowledge uh, of sin and its effect on humanity. The fact that physical actions that you can do will inherently separate you from God. That is an open acknowledgement uh, that magic is a real thing. Um you're, you're, that your will, your internal will to physically do something to rebel against God has now separated you from him. Um, and uh, another example I like to use with people, kind of that segues into this, is, is drugs, uh, especially uh, hallucinogenic drugs. I was just about um, to go there. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that is, why, why are those a sin? Christians acknowledge that there is sin, uh, but 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 why? It's if it's if it's just a physical action. If there is nothing spiritual inherently tied to this physical action, and it's simply a scientific process of the chemicals and enzymes mixing in your DNA and affecting your brain and your cognitive ability, uh, as scientific as that can be, um, why is that inherently bad? Why does that separate you from God? Because if you acknowledge that hallucinogenic drugs are a sin, then what you're acknowledging is the the inherent spiritual nature involved in in these drugs, and that kind of you know circles back to the whole the whole uh, uh, dimensional uh, idea of realms with, with hallucinogenic drugs, because, you know, I, I guess maybe some people do just see stuff, but I, I think maybe some people see a lot more, uh, that's real, uh, than, than it's not. You know, it's funny you say that because uh, uh, Brian and I have, have a good friend of ours who, who got into like DMT and whatnot. And it was one of those things where uh, this person kind of got all, kind of messed up their faith and stuff quite a bit. Uh, but at the same time, he knew when he did it with his buddy, he knew parts about his buddy's past his buddy had never told him and vice versa afterwards. Like they just like it transcended something. And there's a lot of these stories. Like I'm not making this stuff up. Like you look it up, you hear this all the time where people start figuring things out. They saw things that they did and all this. So you makes you wonder, okay, so when you do that, what are you tapping into? And it's probably mm -hmm. something that you don't belong tapping into. And I've noticed some people who get involved in that sort of thing. That's when you know that some of these people get involved in it. It messes them up bad for like mm -hmm. for their life and it's not just because they're just over the shooting heroin every weekend it's like they just they even once or twice that they've done it has messed them up and it's because it's like i think you have and i think there's some truth to this where i think you have you've entered into something you weren't you were not intended in your physical form to enter if that makes sense yes uh yeah that's that is kind of more more so my my beliefs on that um and and that kind of also segues into, you know, uh, certain, certain examples of psychosis. Uh, if you think about it, the idea of a human being that's not in control of their own mind, um, that goes against all nature, really. 
uh, my personal belief is actually that there are far more patients being treated for uh, a scientific problem, what's perceived as a scientific problem, and it's actually a spiritual problem. Um, Absolutely, I agree. I, I think I think a lot of psychosis can be attributed to a, a spiritual deficiency or a spiritual problem of sorts. Uh, but going back to the the idea of drugs and and the idea of being open to something that you're not intended to be, um, this kind of brings us around to the whole the angel of death idea and whatnot. Is that uh, so? The the idea of the the ten dimensions as they exist in Judaism, uh, also in a descending order, uh, as it were. And, uh, again, we reside on the lowest version of that, which is why we take a, a physical form, because um, everything corporal, everything physical is, is – that's the most base, which is, again, why physical actions are the ones that are, like, the most sinful, as, as, as it were, you know, because it's, it's something that you're doing uh, physically rather than for, you know, a higher purpose. Um, so – the their idea of the angel of death. Uh, first of all, well, back to the the whole dimensional idea is obviously we exist on a on a spiritual plane for this life because this is where we're supposed to be. Uh, we're not supposed to access um, those dimensions, as it were. Uh, the idea of the angel of death is not that you know he's the evil figure that comes for your soul at the end of your life. He's um, not the Grim Reaper. No, yeah, he's he's not the Grim Reaper. He is he's he's actually your escort. Uh, he he is what transports you through these dimensions, as it were, um, to protect you from other otherworldly influences uh, that exist in each in each of these uh, levels, um, as it were. And and anybody anybody any of your followers who have read through uh, the Book of Enoch actually may have been exposed to this idea because. Uh, Enoch, you know, we understand he was taken by God, but so the whole the whole apocryphal book of Enoch, uh, being that he is being escorted by an angel through. Uh, when I first started reading it, like I'm starting to read all of the levels, the levels of heaven that he's going through. I'm like, man, I wonder if this ends at ten. It does. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> it does. It ends at exactly ten. But some of what some of what he describes seeing is absolutely horrifying, um, and. So the the idea being that if if hallucinogenic drugs, uh, very particularized, um, by that I mean certain drugs access a certain dimension, kind of thing. If 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 you get that literal with it, um, then what what you're doing when you if if you if you believe that that these hallucinogenic drugs are not just causing you to have hallucinogen hallucinations uh, scientifically, uh, but rather they are opening your physical eyes to a spiritual realm that you're not intended to see, um, then the you're you don't have that that angel to protect you. You're you are alone in that, and I think that's where a lot of the negative experiences that people have come from. You know, I've I've, I've had a few friends who have dropped acid, and. Uh, Almost all of them have experienced some form of seeing what they would call hell open wide. You know, you see the ground open up and, and what they would describe as hell. Like, you know, that's that's what they explain having seen. Um, and uh, also, don't go into bathrooms. This is the big thing. You know, if you're going to do acid, don't go into bathrooms. You'll get lost forever and especially don't look in the mirror. And I'm like, well, that 
that's kind of telling too, because what are you afraid that you'll see in yourself? Like, why? What? What? What's there that's bothering you? Um, so, yeah. Oh, interesting. That's a. That's. I feel like that's just like a wealth of things we could just go down in that topic because there's so many theoretical things where you're like, oh, because we obviously don't exist in all those, uh, and we don't see the spiritual realm. You know, Paul even talks about when he talks about we do not fight against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Like, and you know, the the cosmic basically horrors of of this world. Like, there's these horrible things that are happening outside of us that we can't see. This is all hinted to also the fall of Satan and all these different things. Like, you and it's funny that Christians try to deny it. It's like, well, no, to deny that would be to deny the word in so many ways. It's just there's things that we don't understand, but it's things that we we can get hints at. Even in a, in Revelation, there's a lot of that, there different pictures and whatnot that John was writing. And I can only imagine, or uh, Isaiah, when he sees the very throne of God and like these creatures that are covered with eyes, and you're like, what sort of HP Lovecraftian monster? <laughs> that, so that, Isaiah and, and Ezekiel and Revelation are... are two things or three things actually that I've, I've, I'm still in the process of learning and I will always be in the process of learning. Um, but as I've kind of looked into uh, the Jewish mystic beliefs and whatnot, um, I, I'm, I'm curious actually, cause I have a feeling that a lot of the debate surrounding the events described in revelation and in Daniel and whatnot are, uh, it, that's a Christian problem because they don't understand the mystical nature of the writings that they're reading, you know, because they're, they were, they were written by a Jew who was mystically minded. I mean, John opens his gospel within the beginning was the word and the word was, was with God and the word was God. That's one of the most mystical phrases that exists in the whole Bible. Um, and so, like, I have taken upon myself now to actually, like, I've, I've got to where I, I, I can kind of think in the Jewish mystic mindset, at least, you know, as much as a, as a toddler can walk. Um, and uh, so now I'm, I'm reading through Daniel kind of a along with the commentary, with that, that mystical understanding in the back of my head. And uh, so I want to have that under my hat before I approach Revelation. So, like, um, I'm going to reapproach Revelation with new eyes, and and I'm actually pretty excited about that. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> eschatology, like the study of the end times, how does all that work? How does Revelation fit in and all that? As, so that's fascinating to me, but not so that... I know the views, I know the various views of it, and I've read it a few times, and I can start picking up on some of the things with the new information I have. But I'm far from fully being able to say, oh, I totally have a perfect grip on this, unchallenged. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I hope I can get into more as I study more and more theology. Uh, there's uh, just some other things in my way that I'm like, I feel like I have more pressing things to work through before I work through that. So anyway, uh, what do you say real fast to people who think that this sort of talk is crazy talk? Um, not much really. You right? Like, we just see the world through. We, we we see the world through different eyes. Um, I, I you know I, I typically try and explain some of the obvious examples, uh, like like I do with with drugs or uh, you know or sin, uh, things things that have that inherent nature. You know, when you get into the mysticism, you get into the elements, and so it's like you know to the whole that whole that throws up you know big red flags for people because it's like that whole earth, wind, fire air, water, that whole thing. Um, but when you think about it, like that, that kind of is what, what's necessary for most of creation to exist. You know, you, you take a seed and you plant it in the ground where the earth is and you water it and you let it get sunlight and you get it oxygen and it will grow with 
whatever concentration of those elements God created that seed to absorb in its concentration to produce whatever fruit it's intended to produce. Yeah. Uh, it's it's scientific, but it's also mystical, more so than you'd realize when you think about that. Um well, and that's that's the thing is a lot of people just don't understand the fact that well, no, guys, the science and the Bible very much go hand in hand all the time, and that's that's one of the biggest things. So as soon as you start saying that, well, me as a believer, you know, or, no, or me, we just can't accept some of those things because we accept the science. Or I was told by one person, well, science and faith just don't get along. I'm like, are you kidding me? You you uh, you have faith. You have faith that the whole universe started on its own. Like, as a Christian, yeah. the very fact that the, when we were ta- first started talking about this, what came to my mind was, like, the universe began. That is my first initial argument of supernaturalism, of an idea of a mysticism, yeah. is the fact that there is something rather than nothing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, like <laughs> well, what's your first evidence? Uh, you're looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> to me that there's a God. <laughs> I'm finding surrounded things. A really hard. Th- I'm trying to find examples. If only I could just find things that are like created from exist. a mist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> uh, this is why this is why the atheist community probably is going to hate me eventually one day. But uh, but no, it's true. It's that, that that's the thing. It's like the mist that you have to acknowledge supernaturalism at to some degree or other in order for the universe to actually make sense. If you look at things only materialistically, then you really have a, you fall short of even having the beginning of the universe at all. Because the beginning of the universe, right, is that's when time, space, and matter began. Okay, which means that there yes. wasn't something at some point, which meant there was literally no thing. So something outside of time, space, and matter must have created it. Just God. <laughs> that's kind of, again, that's also where like your realms come into play. Is like If you understand that God can view all of time in a non-linear fashion, then you've acknowledged there's another realm where he exists. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we Molin- Molinists like myself are like, yes, so there it is. God knows all alternate realities, all what is and could be, all you know, counterfactuals, as we like to say in our philosophical world to make us sound hoity-toity. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the multiverse only exists in the mind of God. What is is what is. <laughs> <laughs> huh. uh, that, can we put his picture up and put a little quote next to him and pl- blast it over the church <laughs> split? <laughs> so anyway, what? So real quick, obviously we talked about we people are probably like, what on earth? We really went down some deep rabbit holes. But guys, we had Seamus on and we talked about like surface level stuff. I was like, okay, if we're gonna have Brad on, we gotta dig into something new. So this was this was fun. <laughs> but my thing is, so I have two final questions for you, which is, what would your greatest advice be to those wanting to deepen their faith? And then how do you think your ministry could help unite the church? So first one, go. Uh, Yeah, what would your greatest advice be to those wanting to deepen their faith? Mm. Uh, Have an open mind. Uh, Obviously use discernment. Um, which is that's that's what the Bible is there for. Don't don't just take somebody with a with another doctrine hook, line, and sinker. That's that's definitely not good. I would never encourage anybody to do that. But um, you know, have an open enough mind to read stuff that you may not be comfortable reading, namely Judaic literature. I mean, uh, the Bible. The, my dad puts it this way: uh, the Bible is a Jewish book written by Jewish people about the Jewish faith and the Jewish Messiah. 
Okay. What? That got oddly simple, and yet somehow works. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean... I, th- I guess also I would add to that if you're going to actually look into the the Jewish writings, do it with humility. Okay, if you already go into it with this idea that like you know you're just going to see how wrong they are because you're a Christian and you know better, it's like first of all like get rid of that because you you really won't learn anything because you won't be of a mind to see it. But when you do see it, you'll see things that you you just never would have conceived of because they ask the questions we don't think to ask yeah, that's actually true and that's uh, i've seen people do that too because when i was doing a research paper recently i saw uh the guy was like he's going through some of the rabbinical writings and he was just like ah like almost scoffing and like writing his easy rebuttals almost straw manning them the entire time and me who's even who's even remotely familiar i'm not i, I wouldn't call myself a scholar in the judaic world at all but just familiar i was like oh my word that's not what that means oh my word that's not what he's saying oh my word that, that, that's just a miss like it's just one miss after another. and so yeah going with some humility and for those who think that they also were like brad they're like oh my goodness if he follows the torah how could he possibly be a christian look guys uh jesus himself followed the torah like he was a ra- he was a rabbi and he observed the torah so thinking that somebody's less christian than you just because they observe something that you might not or practice huh, something that you <laughs> don't it's you know it's it's absurd. I, I I find it I find that Christians question people's salvation and their authenticity far too often when they shouldn't, and then they don't question it when they actually should. <laughs> like really, it's it's also not as limiting as as people make it out to be. You know, you you think of it and you're like, oh my gosh, all those rules, and it's actually like, well, I have less rules now than when I did as an independent fundamental Baptist. You know, I can wear shorts now. <laughs> <laughs> I can show my kneecaps. <laughs> well, that's actually true. No, there's actually uh, it, that really one of the few things is, uh, you know, would be the kosher laws. That'd be one of the bigger ones, that big life changing moments. But even then, well, yeah. that's not even too crazy. Just don't eat hot dogs, bacon, a few other things, refried beans, whatever. Um, so, but anyway, um, it also, so now let's go this. So obviously people are so divided. You're on the church split. You know what we do. So what is your idea though, of how do you believe that your particular ministry could help unite the church? Well, I think mm, mainly that we, we expose uh, well, our goal is to expose people to this kind of material, to this this way of thinking, in, in kind of a way that's uh, a little friendlier. You know, we try our hardest to um, offend people gently, <laughs> which is why we've we've organized it in a discussion format. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably a better way to approach. It. No, I think that's true though, because you know, if, no matter what the tr- truth or even uh, opposing ideals, they're offensive. To people, so learning how to deliver them in a way that's like that's coded with some grace and understanding, and that's what's the best part about it. Is I never once got the idea that you guys were running in and beating me over the head. You never beat Brian over the head. You didn't. I've never seen you just straight out go into it with people. I've seen you show your teeth on social media when someone shows theirs, but even then, you're still not like a complete and total jerk about it. You're like, mm, no, I'm just going to show you. Like, okay, you want to get a little sassy? Yeah, I can get a little sassy too, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, that's because you. You know the new me. <laughs> oh, like, see the old days. <laughs> oh, likewise, friend. I uh, I was known at uh, Crown College of the Bible. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Uh, it's an IFB school down in Tennessee. Uh, that's where yes. I went, and I was known for being cantankerous and challenging everything and arguing everything to the ground. I was a jerk. I'll admit it. It was kind of fun. Not gonna lie. 
part of me enjoyed that, but then part of me real, but then I realized later that's highly ineffective to actually teach anything. It, I mean, yes. it's entertaining. No one can deny that. Like you know, even if you don't agree with the oh, guy, it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> you know, people watch it on the sidelines are going, "Ooh, this is fun too." And you know, you love. I mean, you sometimes get good zingers, but it's not effective, especially if you're trying to teach. And that's one of the things I've learned. And that that's why I said it's like you know, okay, so here I have a friend that's you know Judaic. Uh, he's Jewish, really, in his faith. He he recognizes Christ as uh, Messiah, Jesus as Messiah. Almost as Christ as Messiah. That's so redundant. Anyway, um, <laughs> I recognize Christ as Christ. For those of you guys who don't know, Christ is Messiah in Greek, and then uh, Messiah is Messiah in Hebrew. <laughs> so yeah. it's Messiah in Hebrew, hence, okay, whatever. All right, um, but so the point is here, I realized, like, you know, instead of me going like, oh, well, let me say what I think is wrong with these, you know, Jewish types. So let me see what's wrong with these Catholic types. It's like, well, how about we, we just have a conversation and learn how to just talk it out. Hey, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? And of course, these are more interviews. So these aren't even for me to just beat you over the head with anything I might even disagree with. But I find that this has been very beneficial. I find these conversations to build one another up. And I think it helps unite the church to realize, oh, wait, we're not enemies. <laughs> when they actually see people just have a conversation, oh, hey, he's not so bad. Yeah, no, he's not. So why do we demonize? Does that make sense? That's Yeah, that's, that's actually something that... Um, I've, I've mentioned before in videos that we've done uh, is is that the the idea that conflict you know and you'll get Christians that anytime you mention anything that's that that will start a conflict it's like there shouldn't be division in the body and it's like there already is the fact that you go to a different denominated church is already division in the body like we already disagree on things right so that that presents a problem, especially the outside world, because they're thinking, well, if these guys are right, then why can none of them agree? True. And, and so that that's kind of where, where uh, again, I've mentioned this, Judaism is a little more unified in, in that aspect in that uh, they don't agree on, on what applies, whereas how it's applied uh, they may have uh, different traditions, but it's not a it's not a doctrinal point of well, I'm going to start a different sect from you, you know. Uh, at least with with an orthodoxy, that would be the case, you know. So you've got the, the things like the command not to you know shave the sides of your head, and so they accept that to be the beard. But then the Hasidics take that to be like you know the sideburns as well as the beard, and so like they just let their sideburns grow out super long. Whereas, <laughs> I love those, <laughs> right? It's super cool, right? That's <laughs> glorious but, beards. But yeah, no, it's it's and and so Hasidics are not going to tell other Jews that they're sinning for not growing out their sideburns. It's just like, okay, well, you know, you you still have hair there, so you're not shaving it. That's good. We we agree, you know. And that's the, that that thing where I'm like, you know, let's let's be united inside the house. We all recognize God is real. Elohim is truly the, he is the God of the universe. He is the creator of all things. We believe Jesus is the Messiah. We believe in salvation through faith. You know, because I know yes. one of the biggest accusations you guys get is salvation by works. And it's like, well, yes. if, 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 follow, if believing that doing these things that are the right things to do is salvation by works, then that means you thinking that stealing is wrong is also salvation by works. No, they're just making a different, they're saying this is a moral command that 
we follow. It's not salvation by work. So we follow. So these are in-house topics. I say it all the time. Like we're we're all in the same house here. We all have different bedrooms that we might prefer to hang out with different members of the family that we connect with better. But we're still part of the same family. So why are we sit there and stabbing each other, attacking each other, fight each other? Because I'm guessing it's going to be a lot of us that get to heaven and going to find out that oh, I didn't have a perfect understanding of that. But is not God and not my faith and his ability to save us not above my intellectual understandings? There, yeah, there needs to be a, a family discussion. <laughs> exactly. Within within the house, you know, there there needs to be there needs to be that struggle so that, you know, that that's how you come to a conclusion. That's how you come to an answer uh, between you. And that's I think that's something that we offer is is kind of the the opportunity. We called it Killing the Church is the series that we're working on, and I always get asked about that. Well, why'd you go with that name? And it's like, well, it's a double shock and awe, <laughs> right? First of all, shock and awe because, like, well, you clicked on you clicked on my video because that's what it was called. Exactly. Oh but, yeah. <laughs> but on the on the other one, it's like, okay, well, we're discussing topics that we think are killing the church, and then on the other hand, discussing topics within the church that should be killed. You know exactly, and and there's nothing wrong with that. And so when we're and sometimes in a family conversation, you might have to sit down with one of your family members and go, "You're wrong," and you gotta have a come to Jesus meeting. Yeah, oh, we're gonna come to Jesus moment. We're gonna take you behind the woodshed for a minute. Uh, all out of love, we still love you. Still part of our family, but you're wrong, and we can battle it out for a few days. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I disagree with certain people immensely, but uh, I, it doesn't mean that they're not part of my family. It just means, you know, we don't jive all the time on every single topic. We don't fire on all cylinders with each other. So. Anyhow, I could talk about that all day because I've literally been through a hundred church splits, I feel like. So, um, but <laughs> anyhow, Brad, is there anything you wanted to quickly close with before I let you go? Um, I guess, uh, you know, in closing, I understand that to many of you watching, I do sound absolutely crazy. <laughs> uh, but I would encourage you to go ahead and, and you know, if, if there is anything that piqued your interest, then, you know, uh, go go visit my channel. Send a message, or or uh, if if you have TikTok, I'm on TikTok and, and find me that way. And uh, my TikTok's actually really popular. But uh, more on that later. Um, yeah, no, challenge me on it. Like, let's have a discussion. Give give me content to film. Uh, that's that's what me and Seamus really want is is to kind of to 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 instigate the people to disagree with us so that that's just. So you have things to address. Yeah, and yeah, that's what I do with my King James Onlyus videos. I'm like taking screenshots of comments. And I'm like, I'm going to respond to these one day, like these objections. And you know, or what? It, who knows? What if somebody in one of my videos makes a really darn good point in the comments and it just shoots me right between the eyes? I'm like, yep, he got me. Now I got to do my apology video that I was wrong. Yeah, we got to do a redaction. Yeah, I'm like, hey, my bad. <laughs> I'm going to leave the video up, but put a little clip in front of it that says I was wrong. Don't listen to idiot Will. Listen to better Will over here. You know, and that's okay. That's I think that's awesome. I love the fact that that's what makes us, I feel like, connect is just the fact that we're all here on the same road seeking truth and we're not afraid to challenge our ideas and we're not afraid to talk to people who we disagree with even. And so Amen, that's awesome. So I appreciate you coming on, Brad. Uh, thank you all for watching The Church Split. And again, if you haven't already, this is literally like my third time fourth time with <laughs> alternate media like what are you doing subscribe to their channel go there like sub do the thing share it around get them around because i know they're big on TikTok and they're big on all these other areas but like let's get that youtube channel rolling i come on right cool <laughs> <laughs> absolutely man all right thanks man i appreciate it you take care and shalomi my homie
Shalomi, my homie. <laughs>